Restoring Darkness is brought to you by Nevluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies. Welcome back to the Restoring Darkness podcast. Um, on today's show, I'm pleased to be joined once again by Mark Baker um, of the Softlights Foundation. Um, go to softlights.org to check out his information there. And also, while you're on the internet, you can go to evluma.com, E-V-L-U-M-A.com, one of our sponsors. And of course, um, if you want to support the Lighting and Darkness Foundation, um, go to restoringdarkness.com. We are producing educational material for people in the lighting industry. That's right, to help frontline lighting practitioners with the knowledge they need to help with light pollution. That's right. People that sell lights need to know more about how to mitigate light pollution. So we're putting it together training programs. We're also helping people out in lighting ordinance battles like the good folks in Wasatch Valley. So if you want to support the Lighting and Darkness Foundation and all of our work, including this podcast, you can go to restoringdarkness.com, click the donate button and become a recurring donor. Why not? Or you know what? You can volunteer to help us out. You know, there's lots of different ways you can get involved. You can even just be a listener of this show and like it on social media or post comments or become a guest. There's lots of different ways to participate. For right now, I have Mark. You know, you were just on recently. Um, We're starting a show together, but you sent me an email, Mark, and you're saying that a woman in Minnesota has won a discrimination case because of um, LED flashing lights. Can you provide some of the basics and the info for the audience, kind of lay the groundwork so we can unpack this a little bit? Oh, sure. Um, So the case is O'Leary versus City of Little Canada. Um, And it's an administrative procedure through the Minnesota Department of Human Rights. So Ms. O'Leary has a condition uh, that causes her to suffer a seizure or seizure-like symptoms when exposed to LED lights, particularly ones that are flashing. So there is a device uh, called a rectangular rapid flashing beacon. Um, this device is on typically on mid-block crossings. A pedestrian will push a button, and there's a couple of rectangles, and they flash high-intensity light at drivers. Um, and this is supposed to cause the drivers to stop and wait for the pedestrian to cross the street. There aren't, <clears throat> excuse me, there aren't any regulations though on the intensity of this light. So as we've maybe talked about before, the LEDs light is really different than regular tungsten filament, slow flashing light. So this light is really intense. And whatever the properties are of the LEDs, this will cause Ms. O'Leary and plenty of other people, especially people with epilepsy, migraine sufferers, people with autism, to suffer some kind of neurological reaction. So Ms. O'Leary contacted the city of Little Canada and asked for an accommodation. There are laws, state laws, there are is the Americans with Disabilities Act law, and uh, these should provide these laws should be there to protect her. Right. So uh, unfortunately, as typical, the city refused to provide an accommodation. They sent her some performative letters, you know, and, but after time, they just, they didn't provide, they didn't do anything about this problem. So Ms. O'Leary would go down her street, 
somebody would push the button and these things would cause her to uh, then suffer like nausea. She couldn't make it to work. She'd be um, at home vomiting because it's really impactful, this high intensity strobing light. So that's not right. So uh, because the city wouldn't uh, get themselves, uh, wouldn't provide her an accommodation, um, she contacted state legislators. They kind of talked to her a bit, but they didn't help either. So she finally filed a claim with the Minnesota Department of Human Rights. MDHR took a year and a half to investigate. So it's pretty long time um, and it was pretty extensive. They got uh, letters from the city. They dug in and got the communications between both parties. And uh, at the end, they made what's called a, a finding of probable cause of discrimination. So they still leave a little bit of leeway there. So this finding of probable cause of discrimination means that the city of Little Canada did not, uh, you know, is discriminating against Miss O'Leary. They didn't provide an accommodation, even though there, there's the Minnesota uh, Human Rights Act and there's the Americans with Disabilities Act. In this case, it was only the Minnesota uh, Dis, um, Human Rights Act that was being addressed, not the ADA. So that's a different situation. But um, so at that point, then we kind of expected that she would, they would remove the RRFB. If it's causing somebody to have a seizure, I wouldn't be expecting that should be removed. Uh, other people would also suffer migraines or maybe a panic attack because it's just too intense. But the city instead did nothing. Uh, we expected the MDHR then to do something with the city to hold them accountable. And instead, nothing's happened with that. The MDHR is really not now acting to protect Ms. O'Leary. So there's Options now that we're exploring, we're still in the middle of this case. Uh, I'm an advocate. The Soft Lights Foundation has been authorized as an advocate for Ms. O'Leary. We're not a lawyer. We don't, can't legally advocate for her, but we can support her. So we can provide information and try to move this along. So, you know, the, we're trying to get the MDHR right now to protect Ms. O'Leary and, and compel the city of Atlanta to, to remove the RRFPs or to move this case over to the Minnesota Attorney General so that they would file a case against Little Kim. Wow. So the what's what's interesting to me on this one, Mark, I got a little bit of echo there, Scott. Do you hear it? Um, let's see if it settles down for a second. But what's what's interesting to me is that you have a situation where lighting is actually causing people harm and this person is not being considered a total crazy like there's a part of me that wants to play devil's advocate to your argument and say what's wrong with this lady what do you mean the lasers hurt her eyes this is outrageous right this is crazy these are this is helping but we have to start opening people's minds to the possibility that lighting is doing more damage than good mark like i sub i i know on one side you have the people that built the crosswalk and those people are interested in designing a crosswalk that prevents pedestrians from being hurt like that's their position and they've decided that these laser beams 
that they've put on the side here as a car approaches, it goes, they think that's going to wake people up or it's going to get them off their phone or make them hit the brakes or really, but really what's happening is it could be causing people to have seizures. It could be causing people to not be able to see the person at the side. Like this may be a, a situation where the opposite effect of what is desired by shooting the lasers at people's eyes is supposed to do. That's what you're saying. And that this case is really new in that at least somebody or someone said, okay, this is a problem. Yeah, so let me give you some details on how these sort of came to be. So there was a guy in Florida that invented this device, the rectangular rapid flashing beacon. It was um, submitted to, uh, well, so government officials got involved and there were a, there was a study done Texas Transportation Institute, and they studied whether these RRFBs caused the drivers to stop. The answer is yes, it's caused them to stop. But there's a, there are many things wrong with the study. So, for example, they didn't uh, subject anybody with epilepsy or migraines or people with autism to see how they reacted when subjected to this intense flashing light. They only checked to see if drivers stopped. Uh, they didn't measure the luminance, as we know, that's the density of light from a flat surface chip for LEDs. They misunderstand how the LEDs work, so they're not getting the full facts. Um, based upon that study, the Federal Highway Administration issued what's called an interim approval of the RRFB device. Uh, interim means it's not part of the Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices, the MUTCD. So it's okay. We think that this device is something useful. We don't have time right now to update the very large MUTCD. So we're going to issue this interim approval. Each city or county or state that wants to use this needs to apply to us. We'll issue an approval. It's a temporary type of thing. And then you can go ahead and install the RRFB. So cities across the country, counties, states have installed uh, these RRFBs under this interim approval. When we notified, the Soft Lights Foundation notified, and others notified, including Ms. O'Leary, uh, the Federal Highway Administration that these devices are causing seizures, we went into their legal department, we, we notified the Civil Rights Department at the Department of Transportation, and they came back with a letter to me uh, and others saying, well, the issue of LEDs is kind of a big issue outside of our uh, jurisdiction. Meaning, as we know from other discussions, the Food and Drug Administration in the US is the agency for regulating LED devices. In the US, the only agency that's authorized to regulate LED products is the Food and Drug Administration. So the Federal Highway Administration had no authorization to give this interim approval. It was an accident, but they're not acknowledging that. They're just saying, well, some other agency. But in fact, if we look at it, the interim approval actually is not something valid. So, but cities, uh, you know, they've invested money in this and they are fully expecting it to become part of the MUTCD on its next iteration. Uh, but somebody needs to address this issue that is causing seizures. We know from a study in Epilepsia magazine, uh, a review study, that anything over 20 candela per square meter for luminance is a high risk for a person with epilepsy. These RRFBs are 
it's not sure what they are exactly, but it's somewhere probably 100,000 candela per square meter, maybe a million candela per square meter. Anyway, it's extremely high. It's a magnitude. It's, uh, people, yeah, it's a, orders of magnitude higher than uh, what's safe. So it makes no sense to use these. Um, and so at this point, we're just trying to get somebody to listen and actually say, wow, okay. And so far, we have not found anybody that said, oh, wow, that's really bad. Let's do something about that. Yeah, I often wonder, like, the, there there seems to be a resistance, you know, once someone has, like, some institution or government has made this, has been convinced that something's the right way to go, they almost have to exhaust every single other opportunity before they can say we made a mistake. Like, it's not like it never happens, but it's almost like, they, you know, they'll finally do the right thing, but only after they exhaust every single avenue just to make it go away. So nobody has to take responsibility for the mistake. You know what I'm saying? And they have to be pushed and pushed. And I, I would expect our regulatory agencies to be extremely curious about this rather than, you know, protecting or protecting some business model or some town that made a regulation based on an interim order they should have courage of their convictions and show leadership and come out and say hold on a second here we need to study this more or we need a second opinion here but it always seems like there's these barriers to entry or that's not our realm of regulation when the problem comes up that's somebody else's realm so we're going to continue to allow this interim shooting laser beams at people while they're driving so that we can let the FDA weigh in, go talk to them. Like, I don't understand that, that, that mindset from our regulatory agencies. Are you encountering that all the time, Mark, in your work? Michael, we encounter that exactly every day with all of the agencies. It's not unique to one agency in one state. It's everywhere. That concept of, well, that's a little bit too complex for me. If I stick my neck out, I may lose my job. So let me try to push this around to somewhere else. And I get this frequently in letters saying, this is not our area. Um, we have identified that, of course, it is the Food and Drug Administration. That is their area. We have identified and received letters from other federal agencies like um, the in the U.S., the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Um, and this letter from the Federal Highway Administration that I just mentioned, um, the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Administra uh, Administration, they've all sent me letters to the Soft Lights Foundation saying, we defer to the Food and Drug Administration for regulation of LED products. Um, so they're all waiting for the Food and Drug Administration. And the Food and Drug Administration has not published any performance standards to ensure our comfort, our health, our safety, our civil rights for LED products. So this includes uh, LED headlights on cars, these RFBs, LED streetlights, LED flashing lights on police cars. None of them have any regulations to make sure that we're safe from this very powerful light. And... So the FDA has been responsible for this, I believe, since the 1960s, you said, 
something like that or 1950 yeah, congress u.s congress passed the 1968 radiation control for health and safety act and i think it was renamed and reapproved as a something about uh, food and cosmetic act but it's the same and the statute is 21 usc 360 from hh to ss and it's all in there uh, directing the fda to make sure we're safe they've done it for lasers they have a code for lasers, but they never did it for LEDs. Uh, and so that's what we're all kind of waiting for. So we were hoping that agencies that have like civil rights departments, cities that have an ADA coordinator, that they would then act to protect the citizens. Instead, it's like you, uh, you just mentioned, it works a different way. The system works such that these, uh, bureaucrats that work in the city let's say and they, they get a discrimination claim they do everything possible to make that person go away mm -hmm. uh, rather than having some sort of an empathetic reaction oh my gosh this poor person is suffering they will do all kinds of administrative procedures to try and uh, deny that they have a responsibility there's no easy mechanism to compel these cities to comply with what their, their um, what the law says the as we said at the start of the show, the MDHR is not really pushing the city of Little Canada to eliminate the RRFB. Instead, they're saying, well, we're sort of powerless. Well, who has the power if the, if like a the Minnesota Department of Human Rights doesn't have the power? And it's sort of like maybe a political calculus to say whether they should turn it over to the attorney general for prosecution or whether, you know, just to allow the citizen to then have to file a private lawsuit and there aren't that many uh, law firms that will do discrimination lawsuits. Mm. There's only so many of them. And uh, in a lot of cases, they'll take a big risk and they will sue, but they use their own money. So they don't really want to take all cases either, even if it's the right thing to do. They want to win. Otherwise, they don't get paid. And it could be really expensive, like half a million, a million dollars just to do mm. one lawsuit. So... Um, we are always looking for ADA lawyers, but they are, uh, this whole light thing is totally new to them. There are not cases about the light thing, the power of the LEDs. So we're trying to now develop, we're trying to convince some law firm to take a chance and say, yeah, this is discriminatory. This is really hurting people. And these cities uh, need to make, take actions to protect their citizens. You know, it, it, often, you know, you hear things like the system doesn't work, right? And yep. you'll hear that, you know, the system doesn't work or whatever. But in a way, you know, there's an element to this where you have to make the system work. And that's what you're doing at the Soft Lights Foundation. It's very frustrating because <laughs> the system is very difficult to deal with in some regards. One of the problems I see, and this is happening in Canada, it's a lot worse in the United States though, is the, the nature and cost of litigation has gone beyond the uh, affordability of justice. You know, there's like a, um, there's such a huge bar to... Um, adjudicate things in, in Toronto they raised the small claims court from 5,000 to 10,000 and then they raised it to 35,000 I think and once they raised it to 35,000 it becomes accessible because not nobody's fighting over five grand it's going to cost you more than five grand to even appear before a judge so they raised that they've given we need to address the accessibility of justice and the way that our our um 
legislative bodies um, or our uh, our agencies, government agencies, interact with the public. But you know, we have to remember, Mark, that institutions are designed to resist change. That's what an institution does, right? And so the problem becomes when bad products get approved before they should or get into the market before they should. Once they're in the market, the institution will act as like a protector of that. And, and they don't want to be sued or they don't want to get into trouble or, they, you know, there's all manner of problems that become. We have to find a way as a light, as the lighting industry to solve some of these problem, problems and test things before we come to market with the new product. And you see it with the flicker issue. Um, in uh, in LED tubes and the early LED fixtures that were flickering off and on. Um, and I and just one more point I'm going to make before I throw it back over to you. We're helping out the this neighbor dispute. And we're, as a 501c3 like yourself, the Letting in Darkness Foundation is just there to help a resolution to the dispute. And so what's happening is this one guy has a backyard full of um, basketball courts and a soccer field that he's lit up like a municipal stadium. And the lights are literally pointing at his neighbor's houses. It's, it's crazy what this person has done. And the city and the courts have no idea what to do about this, right? Because they don't believe that light trespass and light pollution is actually a real thing, Mark. That's part of the problem is we have to teach these people that light can be dangerous. Electric light has a lot of serious problems with it. And we need to just admit that, especially LEDs, Mark. Right, Michael. So th that's fascinating, your story uh, about the neighbors, because I just got contacted this week with a very similar story. Uh, a neighbor has installed a barn light. She lives up the hill and the barn light comes right into her window. And she's gone to the city and they said, oh, we don't have a lighting ordinance. She's gone to the state. Well, I don't know. We don't have anything. Uh, and the neighbors have said, well, it's just light. Not really a big deal. But it is a big deal because it's LED light. It's super powerful, super dense. And so she asked me for help. She contacted the Soft Lights Foundation and said, can you help me? And I don't have a good answer for her because the system is broken right now. So there are, there are no regulations from the FDA. There's uh, a lack of understanding of how, how LED light works, uh, lack of understanding of the impacts. There's a toxicity to the light. And I've actually started working on an idea with, uh, we have a chemical toxicity on your eye, a, a thermal toxicity, uh, but there's also a psychological toxicity and a neurological toxicity. So these are new terms that I'm trying to develop, but each of those we need to kind of uh, look into these ideas of how toxic light can be. It can be beneficial, but it also can be hazardous to our health. So, um, yeah, we should work together to try and figure out how do we help these poor people that are suffering? And this is going on all across the world. Um, I live in the United States, so all across the United States, these neighbor to neighbor disputes are so difficult to solve because there isn't there isn't some sort of uh, history that people can look at and say, oh yeah, for sure, this is what you do, right? This is the law, this is, it's a nuisance. Is we, we do have a lawsuit going on against a car dealership as a nuisance lawsuit. We'll see, that's scheduled for trial next year. The other, you know, the, yeah, the right to light pollution is an interesting, um, 
you know, so we, you know, we have, um, there's something about electric light that people need to understand that in the age of LED is very, can be very, very offensively deployed. And it goes beyond, you know, a nuisance um, and that there needs to be, um, you know, people need to be told that that's the wrong light. You need to change it. And so, at you know, lighting in darkness, I think what we're what we're thinking of doing is um, offering, we're considering offering a free lighting design to the both neighbors, and that you know, we while we'd love it if you just turned off your lights altogether because we're against light pollution, we understand that you are allowed to light up your backyard, but you know, you don't want to use a hundred and fifty watt. Um, projection flood on a 12 foot pole mounted like this going directly up your neighbor's hill onto their house and in their windows at the rate of six of those or seven of those right pointed right at these people's house and that's not the right the way you're you should do that and i think that if the lighting and darkness foundation can offer that to both sides we'll see if we can start to to see progress because even the lawyers they don't know how to prosecute this like the, the one couple has a lawyer and he doesn't even know really what to do, right? And now all of a sudden he's got, you know, the Lighting and Darkness Foundation is saying, yes, we've identified that as a light trespass for sure. And it needs to be fixed and here's how you fix it. And when they get, what we think is when they get to the settlement conference, the judge might turn to the, to the defendant and say, why don't you fix it? These people that are a 501c3 have told you that this is how you fix it. And it, you know, it seems like it might be cheaper than your legal fees here. Um, and why don't you take their advice? You know what I'm saying? I think we can get somewhere with that. Um, don't know though. What do you think? Well, that's that's <laughs> exactly what we go through. Where's the common sense? We are hoping for somebody to step in. And if it's a court case and a judge, we get the right kind of judge who says the common sense is, why don't you just turn that down? Uh, that would be just awesome. We have tried those kinds of things. There are a lot of people have feel a, uh, a right to be able to use light in the way they want, uh, and regardless of anybody else. Previous light types uh, before LEDs were gentle enough that it wasn't that big of a deal. A little bit of light yes, from their agreed. yard into, yes. into your yard, and you're like, well, okay. It, it was just wasn't enough. But LED light is so intense that now there are a lot of people, and it's... It, we, I get contacted all, all the time in our Facebook groups. We talk about it all the time. This is too much for me. How do I get that to stop? And we need some court cases to, even if it's a settlement conference, to start doing that. So uh, I, I fully support uh, go, you know, the neighbor that has taken it to court. We can support your group uh, with any evidence that we've got to help you guys. I'd love to see some kind of a, a good answer to that. Well, see, see what I, so for, for some reason, I don't know why this happened to me, but Mark, in my 46 years as a non-lawyer, okay, so I'm not a lawyer, but for some reason I've been involved in a ton of litigation in my life. I've probably been to like maybe 50 or 60 settlement conferences. Like that's a lot of settlement wow. conferences. Yeah. And I wasn't always the plaintiff. I was never the defendant. I was the defendant once. One time I was a defendant, one time I was a plaintiff, and a lot of times I was the support person because people would ask me to help them with these complicated lawsuits and 
a civil litigation. And one thing I've noticed is that judges in civil litigation, whether it be small claims, divorce court, Superior Court of Ontario or whatever, they have contempt for both parties. You know, like, it's almost like, why are you guys here before the courts? Like, what can we do for you and your lives there where we have to make some kind of decision about what happened here? You're shining your lights on this guy's house. And this foundation offered you a free lighting design and specification to tell you how to fix it. And you didn't even accept the offer to look at how much it would cost to stop the light from shining into your neighbor's house. You're not going to do too good at trial, man. If this goes to trial and this documentation from this 501c3 is here that offered you to have a lighting professional come and for free tell you how to fix your, your light trespass, and then they're going to come and testify perhaps in court. I don't know if we're allowed to testify, but I think we are. If somebody from the Lighting and Darkness Foundation came to the trial as an expert and answered the lawyer's questions on both sides about why it is a light trespass. This is a light trespass. Here's why. And if you could help us with some information about some of the health effects that this causes. Like I can identify a light trespass and we can also, uh, many people in our group can specify, not just me, can specify fixtures that wouldn't cause that problem. Like we could tell, and then we, you know, you could even have, you know, take the specification to your local contractor and get it installed. And it costs 15 grand because you spent 250000 to build your court. And now it's 15 grand for proper lighting. You know what I'm saying? That's what it is. Judges are not going to like that if that's on the table. Yeah, um, to, to that situation in Ashland, Oregon, they built some pickleball courts and uh, they put in lighting so they could play at night and it, it shined up onto the neighbor's properties. Uh, so they weren't against the pickleball per se, um, although that's a loud sport. But um, the lights were, were too much. So they complained, and one day um, I was walking by at night. It had been fixed. They had whatever figured out <clears throat> to shield it properly. Mm -hmm. I don't think they changed the lights. They just shielded it properly so that it was pointed onto the court. Yes. It made a dramatic difference. Yes. Like, so it can't the, the, be done. We can do responsible outdoor lighting. Like, it, this is not a problem, right? Like, we can be responsible. People can have their pickleball. Like, listen, no one's saying no pickleball. You know what I'm saying? And we have the same thing in Stouffville with the lights from the tennis court are ridiculous. They're, they're, it's, it's complete insanity. And, you know, that's not a, that's not, these are not super expensive, tough problems to solve. And we can fix it. And this is simply as a result of bad specifications and lighting design at the municipal level. People not being aware that light trespass is trespass. And the second thing is that, um, at the individual level in the past, you would never see, rarely in a residential neighborhood, would, would somebody buy like a metal halide light or an HPS light? Very rare. You know what I'm saying? You just wouldn't see it. Um, a, a 250 watt HPS, not, not really common in, the, in a residential area. Even the street lights are kind of 70 watt max HPS. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe 100. See, maybe 150, but nothing 250 or higher than that. With LED, you can buy a 150-watt LED on Amazon for 75 bucks, and it comes with the yoke mount and a plug. You know what I'm saying? That you can plug into the wall. And that hot blaster, 
That thing will project for miles like a laser beam across the world. You can signal to UFOs with it. It's, it's ridiculous. Right. So if you can see it and feel it and say it, you can sense that it goes so far and mm-hmm. is so powerful, why aren't there regulations for that? What you know, are these people I, doing that are... Go ahead. Yeah, no. Why aren't there regulations? I mean... I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic question. So, yeah, I lost your train. I lost, I lost your train of thought. It was me, <laughs> but you know, I, it's, it, you know, it, it, it's, there is some, um, you know, there's all these problems in the world, you know, you, you hear on the news and all this sort of stuff, Mark, all these things that are going on in the world and we're distracted. You know, I invite everyone to stay in your lane. And if you're in the lighting industry, our issue is light pollution right now. And if you're listening to this right now and you're in the lighting industry, it's time to start talking about light pollution mitigation. It's time to start talking about not the positive health effects of lighting. Let's stop doing damage with electric light. It's time for us to, 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 to stop pretending that we can improve people's productivity with lighting systems or help people's circadian entrainment. Let's stay away from that and just stay, start looking at the installed base and seeing all the problems we've caused and start mitigating that lighting industry. That's what we need to do. We need to really make lighting amazing. I want to I wanna, um, thank Mark Baker for being a guest uh, here today from Soft Lights. That's softlights.org. Mark, do you have any final, final final thoughts before we close it out? Well, it's a complex issue. Uh, we are working every day to try and get this solved. We have our um, efforts in all kinds of areas, regulation uh, and acknowledgement of the power of LEDs, the physics of LEDs, trying to demonstrate uh, how to measure the the luminance or what exactly is the right metric for LEDs. We know it's something different. There are standards bodies across the world that we are working with. Uh, People, we're trying to collect the reports of harm of people suffering from this light. Uh, And then we have now started to uh, connect with state legislators Uh, We had an excellent meeting uh, this past week with a state legislator, and she knew exactly what we were talking about, that this light is something bad, and uh, she agreed to work with us. So we're excited about that possibility. You know know what's interesting? Um, In 2008 or 2009, I attended a convention. There was a convention called the LED Show or something like that. And it was in Las Vegas after Light Fair. And it was much less attended at that time. LED lighting hadn't really made it big time yet. And I remember going to the, uh, the conference and, and hearing the people there say, you know, we're really hoping by, you know, 2015 or something like that, we'll hold our convention in a facility that is entirely lit by LED. Right? And they were so wrong about how fast this would take off. Like it, it, it took off so much faster than anybody thought, Mark. And now we're in a situation where we're, light is so cheap and so accessible that people are just using way more of it than they need to. And we don't know enough about it because the technology is so powerful. It's beyond 
the grasp of the average lighting person that works in the lighting industry. Never mind an individual that doesn't work in the lighting industry and has no understanding of lighting whatsoever. They think it's their right to just pollute the light like crazy. And it's not your right. And so, folks, I invite you to, to check out softlights.org, um, spelled the way it sounds. And you can check out restoringdarkness.com. That's the home of the Lighting and Darkness Foundation. And, um, you know, both of us do a lot of similar work. I'm sure Mark accepts donations to the Soft Lights Foundation, Mark. Well, we, we don't, we're not actually set up for that. It's just oh. all volunteer work. We're not using any money. So, uh, but okay. if uh, somebody wanted to donate a big chunk of money to uh, support a lawyer, and we could sue somebody, we would accept that. So in the meantime, you can go to donate link on restoringdarkness.com and whatever you were going to give to Mark, you can give it to us at Lighting and Darkness Foundation because Mark and we're working together next year on a show with 11 episodes and I, I really love working with him. He's such a great guy. Go to evluma.com, restoringdarkness.com, softlights.com. Let's get this thing moving, lighting industry. Let's become the lighting and darkness industry. Bye for now. Look no further for dark sky friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more International Dark Sky Association certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, suggest the Omnimax with shielding or the Ariamax with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of darkness.